at the life of Abraham, we're looking at Abraham as an example of faith, and we have been kind of plodding along as we've been going through this. Um, do have two Genesises in there, but there's this one. Genesis 18 is what we're looking at. And uh, as we've been looking at Abraham, and remember last time we met, we talked about how God changed his name from Abram, which meant father, which was sort of ironic in that he was not, um, really had not had a, a son by Sarah at that point. Of course, we had Ishmael. But as God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham, or Abram, he says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And indeed, as we look back from this perspective, back on history, now 4,000 years, we can say, indeed, Abraham has become a father of a multitude. Not only uh, in that there were descendants that came directly from him, but also those who are people of faith. And he is the father of the faithful. So we think of that in that term. And so we've been using him as an example as we've been going through. Now, there's something interesting about Abraham because he holds a title specific to him that I could not find any other time in Scripture where that title is given to somebody other than not talking about his name, but it's this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, the Israelites are reminded, Are you not our God who... Drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. Abraham was known as a friend of God. And there are several, there are two other instances where it's uh, mentioned in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8. It says, But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. And then in the New Testament, in the book of James, it's quoted there. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You know, it's often said that it's not so much what you know, but who you know, right? And I like it when I have, you know, come up against sometimes a problem or whatever, and I'm talking to someone, a friend of mine, and they say, hey, I have a friend that can help you out. Or, my friend can help me out. And can you imagine, if you're the friend of God, God of the universe, the creator, who is the friend. And by the way, he's our friend. And the New Testament talks about that, in that he calls all those who've believed in him his friends. And I like that. Uh, So Abraham, he had that title, unique to him. However, not necessarily unique to all of us. I mean, to uh, in a unique in the setting that God wants to be your friend. He wants to be your savior. He's still God. He's still the Lord. But there is a relationship that he wants. And that's very much something that's important. And it's something that the scripture shows us right from the very beginning of the Bible. Often people look back at the Old Testament and they think sort of God was this you know distant God that wasn't interacting with his people. And he wasn't... Um, you know, there's more the aspect of, of a holy God from heaven who speaks and those things. But we find instead, actually in the Old Testament, we see the perfections of God displayed in his love, his character of communing with his people. And we see how he wanted to make himself a people or bring himself a people of faith. And that's always been God's intention right from creation on. God, the great God who would do that. Well, we're going to pick this up, and by the way, this chapter 18 of Genesis 
there are, you can break it down into three categories, all right? How Abraham was a friend of God, and if you're a friend of someone, then you minister to them, don't you? And part of being friendly is, is ministering, ministering to others. And we see that in this chapter, in that verses 1 to 8, we find Abraham ministered to the Lord. We're going to talk about that this morning. That's our, probably our message here today. And then point number two is this, and that's in verses 9 to 15. We're not probably going to get there today on this, but he ministered to his home, specifically to his wife. Very important that a man minister to his wife. And then thirdly, he ministers to a lost world. And that's the outline for chapter 18. Tremendous, really, uh, sort of image of how Abraham operated and who he was and what he was like. And he really reflects the Lord himself. Well, we're going to pick it up today in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 1, reading down to verse 8. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees in Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant." Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts after that you may pass by. Inasmuch as you have come to your servant, they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Father, we are grateful for your word to have it this morning and to be able to open it. And we ask, as always, Lord, you prepare our hearts to receive it with gladness. Thank you for this account uh, in the days of Abraham when you visited him. And oh, what a day that was. And Lord, even today, you could come for us. May we be watching and ready. In Jesus' name, amen. We have here uh, a historical account of a day in Abraham's life, but it was a day like no other. Because it was a day when the Lord himself would come to him and visit with him along with two angels that are here. You say, where do you get all that? Well, well, we'll go there, and I'll show you a little bit from what the Scripture presents. But it says here in verse 1, Then the Lord, now that's capital L-O-R-D in your Bible. Remember, in Hebrew, what name is that for God? What is it? Yahweh, or Jehovah, right? Yahweh. It is the very covenant name of God as he presents himself. And here... It is very specific that it is the Lord God, right, who comes and he appears to Abraham. Now, to set it up a little bit, it's the middle of the day. It's hot in that part of the world in the middle of the day. And it's a time when men would come out of the fields or their work and other things, and they would come back into the shade and they would take a little siesta, all right? 
I think that's biblical. So if you take a nap in the afternoon, feel free to say, hey, I'm, I'm in keeping with God's word, all right? Yeah, amen. And for some of us, we need our nap, right? You know. But listen, for Abraham, he's sitting there in the shade of this tree in the tent door, and it's just a day like any other day, except all of a sudden there are three strangers that appear on the horizon walking there in the middle of the heat of the day, which was not very common, by the way. You didn't walk in the heat of the day. And Abraham knew that. He sees these men who are approaching to him. And we know from verse 1 that one of them is the Lord himself. And there are two others. We know from later in the chapter and in chapter 19, verse 1, there are two angels. And I believe they're the same angels that were sent in the very next chapter to go and to really hasten judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the inhabitants there that did not repent. And we'll talk some more about that at another time. I also know that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You say, what? doesn't say that in Genesis. No, it doesn't. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, right? That the man of God may be, what, thoroughly furnished, right? And the Bible comments, the Holy Spirit, same one who breathed out the book of Genesis through the pen of Moses, is the same one who would later also breathe out his word in the New Testament and he would very clearly under the pen of John, the apostle, the disciple John, would um, show us an account of what Jesus says about this incident right here. So we go ahead about 2,000 years from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ walking here on the earth and ministering. John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to Jews who are present there, some of them the religious Jews who were leaders of Israel, they, were, they knew their Bible, they knew their scripture, they knew uh, all their theology, all that kind of stuff, but their heart was far from God. And they weren't watching and waiting. They, they didn't know that their Messiah was among them at that very moment. And you know what? Jesus picked, we pick it up here in John eight fifty six. Jesus said this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad now think of the people that are present there they're listening to this and here's jesus and now they know that abraham lived a long time ago none of them alive there except jesus had been around in abraham's day then the jews said to him You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? You know, essentially they're saying, you've lost your mind. If you believe you were way back there 2,000 years ago with Abraham. And you know what? Jesus, I love what he says. He goes right back to this. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And I am, that's the appearance of the covenant name of God also attached to the word Lord in Exodus chapter 3. You can turn there sometime and look at that. But the word I am, as the words are two words in Greek, ego ami, um, are the exact words that the Jews themselves chose when they translated the Old Testament into Greek, called the Septuagint, some 250 to 300 years before this, when the Greek language was prevalent. 
in their area. They translated their own Hebrew Bible into Greek. And when they came to Exodus chapter 3, in the name of God, when Moses asked, what's your name? And who shall I say has sent me? And God says, tell them, I am has sent you. Right? Uses those words. They chose the same two words, ego and me. Meaning the all-existent one, the I am. So when Jesus says these words, and he says he was there at the time of Abraham, hey, it began to cause some stir. Because Jesus is making a bold claim that he is Lord. The covenant Lord. Yahweh. And he is, indeed, theologically. He's God the Son. And there's God the Holy Spirit, God the Father. And the Son here, who has always been he took on flesh and his name was called Jesus. That was a moment in time. But he's always been the eternal son of God. And he was there in Abraham's day. When I said earlier, it was a day like no other day for Abraham. I am indeed not exaggerating. Can you imagine yourself sitting there in the heat of the day and you see three strangers coming along and you don't even realize it at the time yet. But one of them is the Lord himself. Now, as he draws closer, Abraham, I believe, recognizes him because we find out his reaction and what he does and as he ministers there. And then in verse, by the way, if you don't know what the Jews were thinking when Jesus made this in John eight fifty nine, there's clear indication what took place there. Then they took up stones to throw at him. You know why they wanted to throw stones at him? Because if you go back to the Old Testament law, the sin of blasphemy required death. <laughs> and they believed he was being blasphemous for making himself equal with God. Now, indeed, he would have been blasphemous if he was doing that and he wasn't God. But if he was the, the Lord, if he was with Abraham, he indeed was speaking truth and they were rejecting it. Oh, my. Well, my friends, I believe the scriptures are very clear that Jesus claimed to be God. And that is something that is Uh, part of really the doctrine of christian faith that is a is an absolute you if you get rid of that then you are not not a christian all right i'm just saying that if you believe that he is not you're believing amiss you're believing in the wrong christ we find that well we see some things about abraham and i just want to comment on these in our time here is that he ministered to the lord that's the first thing he ministered to the lord And we're going to just cover that this morning. But we find out that that is something that was characteristic of Abraham. All right. And it should be a characteristic of all of us. It is something that the Lord wants us to do is to minister to him. Now you think, could God want me to actually do something for him? I mean, this is the one who can speak worlds into existence, right? And he can raise the dead. He can heal the, the, the lame and the blind and all the things that he can do miraculously, and he wants me to minister to him? And the answer is yes, he does. Not because he needs it, not because somehow he's weak and can't do those things, but rather he wants us to be involved in that aspect of worship, of ministering to him. And ministry always begins with the Lord, and it flows out from there. I think we sing the little chorus with the kids, joy, right? And the acronym JOY, Jesus, others, and you. And that's how our ministry of love for Christ flows. It begins with him and others and you, right? In that way. We see that with Abraham. By the way, that was what the Lord required for those that would minister before him. In the Old Testament, the priests, 
Now you take the first of the Levitical order, Aaron, the brother of Moses. Look what God says here or in the books of Moses, Exodus 28. Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me, that's the Lord, as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithmar. And look, they were to minister to him, to the Lord. Verse 3 of that same chapter. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. And they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. Now I like that because the, the very design of the, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood was for God's glory. It was that he might minister to God. First and foremost. And these are the garments which they shall make. A breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillful woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons. That he may minister to me as a priest. And that was all God's design. And it all pointed to the ministry of the priest that pointed to God. And there's a whole study in that. Well, that's how the Lord wants us to minister. You know, in the New Testament, the early church ministered to the Lord. And I like that in Acts chapter 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And then it names them. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord, see what they did? They were ministering to him. God, by the way, you want to be used by the Lord? Start with him. Say, Lord, how can I serve you today? How can I minister to you today? And that may indeed take on uh, forms in which you're ministering to others. But first and foremost, coming before him and saying, Lord, I just give myself to you. Everything else wants parts of you, right? <laughs> the world does. <laughs> you know, your, your work wants that. Every, but have you given yourself to the Lord today to serve him first? The book of Colossians makes it even more specifically or more specific. Colossians 3.23 And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And may I just say that sometimes that's who you should be serving and you will not get the glory of men. If that's what you're in it for, it's not. you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because there's times where men may not see that. People may not see your work. They may not see your ministry. But the Lord always does. And he rewards, doesn't he? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. That's a good phrase right there. The Lord Christ. And I don't have time to go through all that. But even the New Testament word that is used for Lord. Which means master. And it is the idea... uh, the word that was used in the Greek, kurios, comes directly from the Old Testament, really, of Lord God. All right? Here, it's the Lord Christ. And to those that knew those Old Testament passages, they would have made that connection in their mind, in the, going from one language to another, even. Well, the Lord, uh, Abraham ministered to the Lord, and he did that. Now, there are three strangers. I mentioned them already. And we know, it says here, Then the Lord appeared to him 
And then in verse 22, look what it says. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abram, Abraham still stood before the Lord. So we see these three appear. Um, there's this dialogue that goes on and a ministry to the Lord in the midst of that. Two of these men head off towards Sodom and Gomorrah. God reveals to Abraham what is about to happen in those cities because their sin has come up before him and it is now past time to judge. And we go and we'll look at that in a future message, Lord willing, on that. We know they're angels, actually. Specifically in Genesis 19, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Now, we have the Lord... He appears also as a man, but yet someone, and I say that because he can sit down with Abraham and share a meal and commune with him and eat like a man eats, and yet he is the Lord. Think about that. And then there are two angels that are with him too. They also appear as men. And uh, the, there's, I'm not, again, this isn't the focus today on angels and the doctrine of angels, but we see here an appearance as men. That's how they appear. Um, sometimes we have our own kind of visions of what angels might look like. And there are angelic beings described in scripture as winged beings. They are fiery beings. They're that. But sometimes they appear as men. They don't appear, I'm sorry to say, as cute fat little cherubs, you know, that we kind of put out there and think they're angels. That's not scriptural, all right? I'm not going to go take them off your mantle or wherever you have them or whatever, but Angels in scripture are, are very much different that way. And they are, as the book of Hebrews says, they are ministering spirits who are sent to those who are heirs of salvation. So we, we know that angels in part, it's not their only thing they do, they minister to those who are heirs of salvation. That's people. And that's part of their ministry. And they're ministering here to Abraham and the Lord being with him, but they're also going to bring a ministry of judgment to the lost world, or be part of that. They're also going to be involved in the deliverance of a, of a, a believer who is backslidden. That's Genesis 19, and Lot, who is there in Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's, he's engaged in some awful things that are happening around him. And the Lord delivers him before judgment. Anyways, we see some ways that Abraham ministers and number one, and I'll quickly go through these hopefully, but we see that Abraham ministers to the Lord personally. Now think of this, because back in Genesis 14, verse 14, we find out here that Abraham had a lot of people under his command. He was a man of wealth. No doubt he's 89 years old at this time. Set that up a little bit so you know he's, he's not a young man anymore. But he's a man that takes charge and he ministers to the Lord personally. And my friends, you have to minister personally. He doesn't call his 318 trained servants who were born under his house and say, Hey, come, come right now. Please take care of these three strangers. I'm going back to my little siesta. He doesn't do that. He gets up and he does it himself. And my friends, I want to be like an Abraham that in my days, however long those may be or short they may be, that I'm still personally ministering to the Lord. And not just counting on it, someone else close to me to do it, but God and ministering. He was personal. 
we find that he didn't hesitate. He did it immediately. So if you're going to minister to the Lord, do it now. I laugh. I've said this before, but when I went into the military and um, I went to basic training, I learned the definition of now. I mean, I learned it. Now, I had grown up, you know, in a good home. My dad didn't give me much space to argue with him on things. And my mom, I could get away a little bit more. But there were times my dad would say, now, this is the third time I've asked you to do something. And I would say, yeah, yeah, I know, I'll get to it and all that. But when I went to basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, my drill sergeant, I got off that bus, he taught me the word now. And I learned it quickly. And you didn't hesitate. I was scared to death of the man, you know. And I was like that all the way through basic training until the last few weeks when I realized this guy's doing this for me so that I know how to take an order and obey. And then I did it because I wanted to. And I can remember, out of the respect of those drill instructors, having to understand when they gave me an order, I wanted to do it because I wanted it not only to please them because it was part of a mission, a great mission. Abraham knew what it was to serve the Lord. He didn't do it just out of fear. He did it because he loved the Lord. He did it because this is the same God he had talked to all through his, his, those years from the time he comes out of Ur of the Chaldees, the time when God appears to him and, and speaks to him and reaffirms his covenant with him. He knew the Lord. And when the Lord shows up, he recognizes him and he's ready to go. Look what it says in verse 2. He ran from the tent door. This is an 89-year-old man. Listen, he ran. Sometimes it's odd to see someone that is in their elderly years running, okay? But there are some people out here, and some of you around here, I'm not going to call you old, but uh, there's some of you that will outrun a lot of younger people. You know, you move, you go, and you're like that. I remember a few years ago, we were, uh, probably three years ago, our garbage pickup on uh, Friday down there in St. David occurs at about 9.30 in the morning, okay? You can almost set your clock by it. And I can hear the garbage truck coming. It's next to the door at the gateway. And, you know, I can hear the, uh, the, the machine as it's moving. And I, if I forget my garbage, I can get out there and bring it down. And I have plenty of time. And about three years ago, it, was a day, it must have been a time when the normal guy that picked up the garbage at that time, uh, and that's changed a couple times as far as the, the worker who dumps the garbage in, um, uh, he was off that week for some reason. I don't know. And it was about 8 o'clock in the morning, I think. I mean, it was like way off. And I hear the garbage truck. And I'm like, the garbage truck, quick, run outside, you know. Hopefully you got, you know, appropriate clothes to go down and wave to the neighbors in the traffic. And we grabbed our garbage uh, cans, brought them down. And I'm watching the garbage truck come down the road. Like now he's out of the gateway. He's headed to my house next. And I see this old guy. I don't know who it was. I don't, I have not met him and he's a wiry little guy. It looked like Vinny a little bit, you know? It wasn't Vinny, though. Had less hair. And he's literally running ahead of the truck. And I thought, who is this? Is he getting chased by the garbage truck? What is it? He comes down, he grabs my garbage can, and the truck comes up, and he pours it in like this, and he pours it in, and he runs ahead again, and he's running, and he's running. He gets ahead, and the truck isn't still at my driveway. And he goes up. No wonder they were there at 8 o'clock. And I said to my wife, I said, you've got to come see this. You know, it was like entertaining. I mean, it was just fascinating. I watched him go right out of sight, and he would outrun the garbage truck. Wow. Some of you probably know who it is. I don't know. But I just, I just say this. 
Yeah. And I'll tell you, it was fun. It was fun to watch. And I just was like, I want to be like that. With faith. I don't want to pick up your garbage. But I, I would. So I'm thankful he's there. And we are. We're thankful for people that do those kind of things. Because it's a huge part of, of ministering to us in that way, in a material way. But I say this. I want to be a man of faith that can run ahead of the, the truck. You know? Whatever task God gives me. Do it immediately. Look, verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Look in verse 7. And Abraham ran to the herd. And he hastened to prepare it, the young man. I mean, there's a sense of urgency and immediacy. And when we minister to the Lord, it should be that way. Now. You know, it was only after everybody was served that he stood and rested. And I like that. You know, there's a time when we will rest from this weary life. There's a time. But I will, I will say this, that this was a time where Abraham made sure things were right and he was ready and he was willing in that. Next, to minister to the Lord, we see in Abraham he was generous. He ministered generously. Look in verse 6. He tells Sarah, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal. Not that bag of sawdust that you've been keeping in the closet. But the fine meal. That's what I want. The best. And then in verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 7. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a tender and good calf. Now listen, if he had let that thing grow up a little bit further... He could have got a lot more meat out of it, right? Could have gone a lot further. But it's tougher. And there's nothing like good, tender beef, right? And that's what he says. And by the way, I think it's scriptural to barbecue. There it is, right there. (laughs) So, and just tender meat. So, you know, all that. Listen. That's right, unless you're a cannibal, and we're not going there. But this is the good calf. I like that. He did that. You know, that's the way we ought to be, but it's not always the way we are. This was Abraham. But you know, his descendants didn't always do that. By the time you, this is in the beginning book of the Old Testament, by the time you come to the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, the Lord has something to say against the people of Israel because they were now giving the worst of the worst to the Lord and calling it good. And he calls him out in Malachi chapter 1. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? They weren't honoring the Lord. And if I am a master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you, priests, who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? And the Lord says, you offered defiled food on my altar. But say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? You favorably, says the Lord of hosts. And that chapter goes on further. And the Lord has some things against him. 
They were robbing God. They were putting him last. They were calling his table contemptible. My friends, that's a bad sign when society gets like that. And they're not thankful. Romans chapter 1 says that that really, and you read in that, it talks about the, the fact that people didn't glorify God when they knew God. And it says, and neither were they thankful. And that was the testimony ending the Old Testament. The, the religious leaders and the climate of that day. And then there were 400 silent years where God didn't speak a word to them. 400 silent years. And then all of a sudden he begins to move again and speak again. And he speaks in the heart or in the mind, in, in, audibly to a priest who was in the temple named Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband. And she has, in her old age, conceived, or will conceive at that point, a, man, a, a, you know, a baby, but a man that would become John, John the Baptist. And he would be the forerunner of Christ. And when God sent his ministry to us, he gave us the best, the very best. He gave him himself. There's none better. And when he died on the cross, for you and for me, he died the perfect, sinless son of God. Perfect in every way. God gave his best. The least we can do is do what we can do best and give to him. Well, we see that Abraham also ministered in humility. Humility. As I said, he's 89 years old. By the time you reach that age, you know what? You should command some respect, (laughs) I hope. And that's right. He had lots of people in his household, servants and workers and others that were there. And, but Abraham, in humility, he recognizes that he is before the Holy Lord God. And it says here in verse 2 of Genesis 18, He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. He recognized as soon as he came near that this indeed was not like any other strangers who show up. And I'm sure he was hospitable. You know how I know he was hospitable to strangers is because in the instance before he knows who they are, he runs to them. And you know what? He knew also that that's customary in the East, hospitality. And it's a something that we all could, could you know, work on in that area for sure. And you know, he bows himself to the ground. He doesn't stand up and say, hey, proud, you know, look, look at you three. You've come to the right place. I'll take care of you. No, he goes and he's undone before them. He bows before them. And by the way, when you get before a holy God, that's the heart reaction. We realize who we are in the presence of a mighty God. And we realize I'm just a servant. That's all I am. Whatever degrees I have hanging on the wall mean nothing if I'm not a servant to Christ. Verse 3, he says, Do not pass on by your servant. Your servant. Verse 5. Look at how he says, he doesn't say, hey, I've got a meal that you'll never, I mean, you've never had a meal like this meal. Oh, man. You know, he doesn't, he says, no, I'll bring a morsel of bread. Wait. I like how John McKim would say, probably a wee bread, you know, a wee piece of bread, and that's all he'd say. That's what Abraham is saying. Just a little bread. But it's not a little bread. It's a feast. It's the best 
flour. It's the best of the calves. It's butter and milk. It's the best. It's not just a little morsel of bread, but that's how Abraham saw it. Even my best is really nothing compared to what I should be giving you, Lord. But yet, it is what I have. That you may refresh your hearts. And then he goes on to say, your servant, as you see it there. A lot could be said about servants. I like D.L. Moody probably as one of those historical examples of someone that God used mightily. He was the evangelist of the 19th century. And the Lord used him to preach to hundreds of thousands, millions perhaps even, in his lifetime before there was live streaming and viral videos and all those things. He actually went out and had to do that in person. And he always believed that the gospel should be wrapped in shoe leather. In other words, it should be on the go, always doing that. And D.L. Moody, before he had become a Christian, he had been working in a, uh, and even after he became a Christian, shortly thereafter, been working in a shoe shop. And he was there in a shoe shop as he was a shoe salesman. And uh, they, he, um, a man came in and invited him into his Sunday school class. And it was there, a young D.L. Moody would become a Christian and then later go on to serve the Lord and he, he was a servant at heart. And he really loved to train people. Uh, D.L. Moody would say things like, I'd rather have ten men do the work than do the work of ten men. And that's true. If you're a, somebody who's making disciples, right, training people, it's much better to train ten men than to do the work of ten men, right? Ten people. And Moody was like that. And that's why there's all these Bible institutes that started. And the whole modern Bible Institute movement came from God using a man like D.L. Moody and many others, but he's one that was uniquely used in those days. One story that comes out of the time of D.L. Moody uh, that I came across uh, some time ago, remembering this, that at one occasion when he was, again, he was quite popular at this time. He had preached throughout the continent of Europe, particularly in England, and he had uh, invited to a special conference in Chicago. He had invited a whole host of European ministers who would come and have a, a Bible conference. Well, in uh, these men came and they uh, were put up in rooms. I believe it was a dormitory. And something that was customarily done in Europe, which isn't done here, wasn't done in the time of Moody, was that there they were used to having servants in various places, like in the hotels or in their houses sometimes and all that. People that they hired to take care of the mundane work. And Moody put these men up, and he got ready to go to bed, and as he was walking down a hallway, he looked, and he was horrified. He realized something he had forgotten. All the men had put their shoes out by their door, and they, the expectation that those would be polished for the next day. So D.L. Moody, that night, spent most of the night up polishing people's shoes. He was the man hosting the conference. You know, that story survives. It comes out. There must have been enough people that saw him doing it. But you know, that speaks really of a heart of a servant. He didn't hire that out. He didn't have someone else do it. He didn't have a student do it. He just, I'm going to do it myself as to the Lord. And I think those are the kind of people that God uses who are willing to get down and dirty, sometimes do those things, and they hasten to do it, and they do it with humility True humility. And then lastly, cooperatively. Cooperatively. Abraham didn't do it alone, did he? 
He had Sarah working. He had his servant working on that calf. He had those that brought the butter and the milk. And, you know, we're in it together. You know, it was really Abraham who was involved in that, but he got others to help out in doing that. In Hebrews chapter 13, I believe there's a little commentary here that the Holy Spirit gives, a little insight on this whole idea of hospitality. And I don't know the mind of God perfectly here, but I can say this. I think of Abraham every time I read this opening part of Hebrews. It says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Abraham entertained angels. He entertained the Lord. You know, you and I have those opportunities to entertain or be hospitable. And in doing so, we show forth the love of Christ. We show forth and undergird the truth that goes forth in that. In 3 John, John says this in verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. And Lord, we're thankful for this account out of the life of Abraham. Help us to be servants that are watching and ready to minister. In Jesus' name, amen.